0: A lot of people would say that I don't like to go to church because all they talk about is is money. And I think because of this notion, a lot of pastors are are pretty afraid also to talk about money. But one thing that we have to know is that Jesus, throughout his public ministry, three and a half years, more than any other topic, more than the topic of prayer, more than the topic of discipleship, more than the topic of, of worship, more than any other topic, he actually talked about money. Most of his parables are actually connected to money and possessions and wealth. It's also interesting that in the New Testament, the only thing that is considered an idol is actually money. The only time that a thing is compared to God as an idol is actually money. And so money is something that's very important in our spiritual life. Having a healthy view of money and wealth and possessions, I think, is something that is honoring to the Lord. And so we see... In today's passage, this comes after a long section about honoring one another. And I think the reason why Paul spent so much time talking about how we ought to relate to one another is because within the congregation uh, in the church of Ephesus, there are people who are coming from all, all sorts of backgrounds. Some were married, some were widows. You have people who, who were masters, some were slaves. And so all these different people coming together under the name of Jesus and Paul is teaching them how they ought to relate to one another in honor. Now, we also see in chapter 6, there are people who are coming from different economic backgrounds. There are people who are rich, and there are people who are poor. So in today's passage, I believe that Paul is specifically addressing those who are desiring to be rich, those who might not be as, as, as well off compared to other people. And then next week, we're going to see Paul actually speak to those who have in abundance those who will be considered as rich. And so I think Paul, he's trying to address different people within the congregation and and teach us how we ought to view our situation in light of the gospel. But in verse 3, we see that once again, Paul comes back to this idea that there is a lot of false teachers within the church of Ephesus. And these false teachers, they're leading people astray. They are causing confusion and friction with corrupted teaching. And it's interesting because in verse 3 it says these people who are teaching in a very corrupted way, they don't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. So when Paul talks about false teachers, he says there are two things that stand out. Number one is their teaching is not Christ-centered. Their teaching has nothing to do with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when they teach, when they preach, they don't make much of Jesus you hardly hear the word Jesus. You hardly hear a presentation of the gospel. That's, that's what he's saying because Jesus is not at the center of their teaching. The other thing that, that he mentions is their teaching does not lead people to godliness. It might make them feel good about their situation, feel good about their lives, but it does not lead them to repentance and to godliness. It does not transform their lives. It's something that just take in, they take in as information But it just stays there in their heads and never comes to their heart. And so, especially at Shining Star, one reason why we always talk about Jesus, one reason why we always try to make a connection to Jesus is, number one, because all Scripture points to Jesus. That's what Jesus says in Luke 24. It's also because the mystery of godliness, it says in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, that the mystery of godliness is, is discovered in Jesus. And so if Scripture points to Jesus, if godliness is achieved through Jesus, then we should make much of Jesus. That if we stray away from Jesus, that's when we begin to teach false things and when we dive into false doctrines. So there are people within the church of Ephesus who are are practicing corrupted teaching. And it's not that the teaching was just corrupted, but we also see that their behavior was corrupted as well. We see in verse 4 that they're arrogant, they're ignorant, they think they know everything, but they, in reality, they don't know anything. They cause friction, division. They lead people astray to depravity. The gospel unites the church, but false teaching divides the church, and that's no surprise, right? Because what unites us as a church is Jesus Christ, his lordship, his headship. And when Jesus is missing in their teaching, then what's left is a bunch of people who are trying to have their way within the church. So there's division within the church. So corrupted teaching Corrupted behavior, but what's interesting, at the end of verse 5, Paul says this, all of this, the corrupted teaching, the corrupted behavior, it's coming out of a corrupted motive. It says at the end of verse 5, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Godliness is a means of gain. They believed that practicing the faith, you know, being religious was a means of gain. One scholar says it like this, what they were doing was not true ministry, it was religious business. In other words, they were serving the Lord to get stuff from Him. They were doing all these things, not because they loved the Lord, because they wanted to get good stuff from the Lord. In a sense, they were spiritual gold diggers. And this is a reality that we see today as well. That a lot of people would come to church, a lot of people would practice and exercise their faith, not because they genuinely love the Lord and they believe that the Lord is good, but they want to use the Lord God as a means to what is good. And this is also called the prosperity gospel. When you believe that God is a means to what is good, good stuff, good health. Good wealth. Like this is what comes when you believe in God. So godliness plus greed equals corruption. That's that's the mathematical equation that Paul is presenting. Godliness plus greed equals corruption. And that's where we transition into the issue of money, wealth, and possession. This is why Paul dives into um, this topic, because this was something that was was clearly being taught within the Church of Ephesus. So I just have two simple points for my sermon today. Two simple points about money. Uh, the, number, the first point is this. Number one, don't fall in love with money. That's what Paul says. Don't fall in love with money. In verse 10, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now, some people believe that God hates those who are rich, that God is simply against money, that money is evil, but that's not what the Bible says. Later on in the passage, we're going to see that actually God says that whatever you have, if you enjoy it, that's, that's actually a good thing. We also see many godly men in the Old Testament, Abraham, Solomon, they were walking in the ways of the Lord, and as they were doing so, God blessed them with many material things. We also see when, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, God blessed them with material things. And so you have godly people who are also pretty rich. In the New Testament, you have Lydia, who was a very wealthy um, businesswoman, and she was one of the core members of the church of Philippi. And so we see that you can be godly and also be rich. God is not against rich people. He's, he doesn't think that simply money is evil. But at the same time, we also see many godly people with, without much money, Perfect example is Jesus. He didn't have much when he was living in this world. The disciples of Jesus, they didn't have much. Apostle Paul, he didn't have much. He was just moving from place to place. And so what we see is this. Having a lot of stuff does not make you godly. Not having a lot of stuff does not make you ungod does not make you ungodly. So your stuff does not does not tell how godly you are. We also see that there are different seasons in our life. For example, the story of Job, where you could be rich at one point in your life, and, and you can lose everything in a different season of your life. The story of David as well. David, for a season, he, was, he, he lost everything. And, and for a different season, he, he was ruling this kingdom. Uh, he had all that he wanted. And so we see God's position when it comes to money is this. God is not concerned about the amount of money that you have, but he is concerned about the attitude that you have towards money. God is not concerned about the amount of money that you have, but he is concerned about the attitude you have towards money. Whether you have a lot or little, what God cares about is what kind of attitude, posture you have towards money. And in verse 10, he says, Don't fall in love with money. The problem is not money. The problem is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That is some strong language. So, so why is this so bad? Why is money such a, a, a terrible thing to love? Well, three things. Number one, money, it don't last. Money don't last. It says in verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. And this is literally quoting Job 1 21. like this is this is echoing what Job said when he said when he lost everything naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and so Job realizes and Paul realizes that that he didn't come into this world with a lot of stuff and he's not going to be able to take the stuff that he has to his next life there is a very very famous guy, John Rockefeller. Um, he's one of the richest men who ever lived in history. And uh, there's a story that is being told. Um, one of his assistants, when he was asked by uh, the press, so how much money did he leave behind? His assistant wisely answered, well, he left all behind. He didn't take anything. No, when people are facing death, when they know that their time is up, I have yet to m- meet a person who was... Who was who is thinking, man, I wish I had more money. Man, I wish I spent more time working so that I could accumulate more wealth. No, Most people regret spending so much time worrying about money, trying to make money, because there are a lot more important things in life than money. Again, I'm not saying that money itself is a bad thing. It's a very useful tool. It's a helpful thing to have. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that money is not eternal, that it does not last. The second thing that we see is money can be a trap. Money can be a trap, it says in verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and, and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So money is a trap. It leads to all sorts of temptations. You think about all the crime that happens, that takes place because of money, like the list goes on and on, robbery, murder, even human trafficking, it's all about money. Drug dealing, it's all about money. Pornography, it's driven by money. You talk about every evil that exists in our society, somehow it is related to money. It's because money is a trap that leads us into all sorts of temptations. And the Bible says one of the things that it does, it makes us senseless. The NIV translates this word as foolish. And in the Bible, a fool is someone who, who's not just low in their intellectual ability, but a fool is someone who thinks they know everything, but in reality they don't know anything. A fool is someone who's blind to the reality. And what money does, it it makes you blind to what is true and what is real. Just because you have a lot of money, you feel like you can do whatever you want to do. Just because you have a lot of money, you feel like you also have a lot of success, a lot of power. You misuse um, that, that position as well. Money somehow makes you very prideful. It gives you all the confidence in the world. And if you don't have money, for some reason, you feel like you can't state your opinion, you can't do anything in society. Somehow money kind of, it, it, it's, it distorts our view of ourself. It also distorts our view of what we have. When we fall in love with money, we don't realize how much We actually have. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Uh, One person said that loving money is like drinking seawater. Seawater, you know, when you are in the sea and you're really, really thirsty, you know you're not supposed to drink seawater. Why? Because the moment you drink seawater, for a couple couple minutes, maybe a couple seconds, you could feel good about yourself. It has water, so, you know, you think it will quench your thirst. But in reality, there's so much salt within that water that your body craves for more more water. Like, it makes your body even even more, more thirsty. And so what happens is the moment you take seawater, like, you get thirsty, so you have to drink something again. So what scientists say is the moment you drink seawater, then... And you have less chance of of survival if if you're lost in in the sea because because you're constantly craving for more and more of water. And that's what happens with money. When you fall in love with money, that's the trap, that you think more money will make me happy. But in reality, that is not true. How many of you have more money than you had when you were a child, when you were in elementary school? I think most of you have, right? Like, if I go back to my my younger days and when I was in school, there was not a single moment I worried about money. It's not because I had more than I have right now. It's simply because I had a different perspective on money. More money does not mean you have more happiness and satisfaction. Money can be a trap. The third thing is money can ultimately destroy you. It says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It says in verse 10, When you love money, it's the root of all kinds of evil. it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So notice that if you fall in love with money, It can make you walk away from the faith. This is why Jesus talks about money more than anything. It's because money is a spiritual matter. Your position towards money, your posture towards money, your attitude towards money is a spiritual matter. That's why he says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want to know what you love in your life? Just look at your bank account and see how much money you spend on different items. That will reveal how much You care about God. Matthew 6, 24 says, Jesus speaking, No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Again, the issue is not having money, but if you fall into this temptation of serving money and loving money, you have to understand that that will lead you to destruction. Money is a great tool. Money is a helpful resource, but money is a terrible master. The trick is that if you think if you have more money, that money will serve you, what ends up happening is you end up serving money. So don't fall in love with money. What Paul says, the second point I want to make in today's sermon is this. Instead of falling in love with money that, that does not last, that is a trap that leads you to destruction, Make Jesus your ultimate treasure in life. Make Jesus your ultimate treasure in life. Look at verse six. It says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So we came up with one mathematical equation earlier. We said godliness plus plus greed is corruption. But here we see that godliness with contentment plus contentment is great gain. Paul is telling the church of Ephesus, you really want to be rich. You want to experience wealth. You don't want to. You, you want to live a life where you're not not worrying about all your stuff. The key is not just living a godly life. The key is contentment. Godliness with contentment. That's what's where you find great gain. That's what makes you rich. So, what is contentment? Contentment is this. Contentment is is when you are in a situation, and it's devastating. It is crushing. And yet, you can still smile. Yet, you can still have hope. Yet, you can still walk away from disappointment because you have Jesus Christ. The contentment that, that Paul is talking about is not just this, this shallow contentment that you might think. Some people say this, well, I know that money is always going to disappoint me, so I just don't want to have money. Like, they, they, they try to stay away from money in general. Like, they don't want to have their hopes all the way up there. But that's what, not what Christian contentment is all about. Christian contentment is not about just letting go of all your stuff. Christian to- contentment is understanding all the riches that you have in Jesus Christ. And therefore, everything else doesn't really matter that much to you. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, 11-13. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I, am, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him, Jesus, who strengthens me. That verse 13 is not a verse that was created before you go into a soccer game or to pump you up before you go into a soccer game or a basketball game. That verse was, was written there so that you would understand the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment is Jesus Christ. Whether rich or poor, plenty or hunger, that you realize that you have plenty in Jesus Christ. The world would say that that contentment is self sufficiency. The Bible says contentment is Christ sufficiency. The world will say contentment is self hypnosis, where you're telling yourself over and over again, "I don't need money. I don't need money. No, I'm okay. I don't need that raise." The Bible says that contentment flows out of a heart that is fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. You're not just trying to hypnotize yourself. You're actually talking about a reality that clearly exists in Jesus Christ. No matter what comes my way, no matter what kind of situation I'm in, I can smile, I can be happy, I can be satisfied because all I need is found in Jesus Christ. That means no matter how high the gas prices go up, And thank God they're going down, right? No matter how hard it is to buy a house in this area, no matter how how hard it is to find a good place to, to, to raise your children, no matter who is in the office and who is leading our country, no matter what's happening in your job or what's happening with your health, at the end of the day, if you are a Christian and if your hope is in Jesus Christ, you can confidently say, that I can have all things and lose all things, but one thing is for sure, no one or nothing can ever take away my joy and my satisfaction in Jesus Christ. That is true Christian contentment. Money does not last, but Jesus does. Money can be a trap, lead us into all sorts of temptations. It distorts reality. You know what Jesus does? He leads us away from temptations, and he brings clarity in the, in the midst of confusion. Money can destroy you, but Jesus will save you. Jesus is a much better master and a Lord than money. So make Jesus your ultimate treasure in life. Now, some people think that the love for money is often driven by greed. This is just for people who are, who are just greedy and they just don't have enough. They always want more, but I think in our society today, one of the main factors that are that that's driving our love for money is actually fear. That that we think without wealth that we have no security, and we have no safety, and and this is how this is portrayed in our retirement plans, right? We want to make sure that we invest in retirement, we have a nice place to live at the end of our lives, and and I'm not saying those things are bad. I think those things are wise things to do, but if we think that what gives us ultimate security and safety is the stuff that we have and how much money we have in our bank account, then we will always be disappointed. We will always be disappointed because true safety and security and comfort comes in Christ alone. Because you're not going to take your house to heaven. You're not going to take all your stuff to your next life. But Jesus, he will last so don't let fear drive your decisions when it comes to wealth and money. Don't let fear overtake you. I think especially if you're just starting your career and you feel like you have to build up a certain level of wealth in order to marry someone, in order to have a stable family, in order to live a certain life, just know that, that if you are faithful and good in what you do, that God will take care of you. So trust Him. Trust His provision. Trust His grace. So how do we apply a text like this? I just want to highlight two things. Um, number one is this. If we understand that Jesus is our highest treasure and we don't love money, one thing that we can do is again we can live with gratitude. We live with gratitude. Look at verse 8. It says this. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So how many of you have food in your, in, in your house today? Okay, great. Oh, man, some of you guys don't. Oh, man. Maybe you, you love eating out, and you're like, you know, always dining out. Maybe that's your case. Okay, it's, it seems, I'm, I'm thankful that every one of you are wearing clothes uh, today, right? Um, what the Bible says is this, uh, if you have food in your house, and if you have clothes to wear, then you have a reason to be content, just in that alone. Anything that you have that's more than that is actually a blessing from God, that, that you don't have to try to live for survival, but you can be thankful for the blessings of God. So live with gratitude. When you understand that Jesus is your highest treasure and what you have, what you need in this life is not that much, then you begin to live a life of of gratitude. Number two is this, live a life with simplicity. Live a life with simplicity. If you have food, if you have clothing, then you're good to go. I love what John Stott says. He says this, for possessions are only the traveling luggage of time. They are not the stuff of eternity. It would be sensible, therefore, to travel light. I, I, I did a trip in Europe for two weeks, backpacking, and, and I know how hard it is to carry around a, a big luggage. Like It's terrible. It's the worst thing like, you're trying to go to place to place as you're traveling, and if you have all this stuff, it, it makes the trip, like, pretty bad. Like, when you're hiking, one of the first advice that I receive, when, when, especially when you're hiking overnight or you're going on a long hiking trip, is to not, not bring a lot of stuff. Because you feel like you need all, all the stuff in your bag, extra clothes, extra towels, the f- extra food, but as you're carrying all that luggage, you'll never make it to the top, because you're so bogged down with that big luggage. If you believe that this world, your life, is it, then accumulate all the wealth that you want in this world. But if you believe that you're simply a traveler passing through, that you have a place to go after after this life, if you believe that you're just simply on a journey to God, to heaven, then travel lightly. Don't worry too much about what you have or what you don't have. Make Jesus your ultimate treasure. Jonathan Edwards, at the age of 18, he wrote one of his first sermons called Christian Happiness. I wish I could write a sermon like this at the age of 18, um, but this is what he says. Any Christian who knows Jesus Christ can be completely happy and content. Why? Because if you believe in Jesus, your bad things will turn out for good, according to Romans 8. Um, your good things will never be taken away from you, that you have eternal security and joy and inheritance in Jesus Christ, and your best things are yet to come. So past, present, future. You have every reason to rejoice and to be content. So don't make money your God. Don't make money your master. When you see that Jesus is the real jewel and treasure then everything else will fade away and your satisfaction will solely be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.